0: Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors, and our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity, and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and eBooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the Promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the Promotions or Audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com, at and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com slash writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing!
1: Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools.
0: Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's Inc.
1: Zach, tornado update. What do we got? (laughs) Sunny. (laughs) Sunny. <laughs> I, I don't know if we're gonna have any tornadoes or not. So I, th- I think we're I think we're good.
2: You were supposed to though, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So what Jay is referring to very randomly is that we had to push a recording back a few hours because my daughter's school district decided to make everyone come pick their kids up two hours early, and when because of severe thunderstorms and potential tornadoes and i sat in the line to pick her up with the sun out and it hasn't done anything so it still could i guess but hey technically sunny skies could potentially turn into tornadoes yeah i mean if my kid and if my kid was a vampire i guess it'd be a good reason to get him out of school too so <laughs> but but yeah i don't i don't know it, it is what it is so but we're here and we're a little later than normal so but it's okay so
2: do you have a shelter we- in your, your backyard do you like open up the barn doors and climb down to the ground and, and hide from it all or no, none of that.
1: No, it's not that bad here, (laughs) (laughs) but like I was saying off air, I mean, we did get a bad tornado last year that, uh, tore up like our, the Germantown neighborhood in East Nashville really, really bad. It was crazy because it happened like two weeks before the lockdown. So all these people were going through losing their businesses, losing their homes. And all of a sudden we had the coronavirus hit and it was just like, that on top of all the stuff that was going around here. So it was just, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. They're, so they're luckily, no joke.
2: I, I remember from when I was a kid in Illinois, I, my mom grabbed us at one point and like threw us into the bathtub. And like that was the only yeah. warning we got. And I remember getting ridiculously loud, like a train going over the house. That's exactly um, what it
1: sounds like. as a freight train. Yeah. And then, yeah. then,
2: you know, a couple minutes later it was all over and we had a tree in our living room. Um, and like, and our, our house was in a forest and like right across the street, it was all cornfields, like nothing but corn farms. And you could see the track that it took like through those farms and it just cut a, a nasty path, like right down the middle and destroyed whatever was, you know, like directly in front of it. And, you know, a couple feet off to the side and everything looked perfectly fine and and then we moved to Florida because hurricanes are so much better than than tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> my my dad's reasoning was you get you get a warning they tell you on TV before it's gonna hit, which I guess is true. But you know, five or six hours of straight nasty wind is, isn't a whole lot better to me than than that was. So.
1: No, I, I the it's it's definitely a different deal. I mean, I was in Katrina, so. That was pretty crazy. And then, <clears throat> you know, tornadoes are weird. We had the, a big flood here several years ago in Nashville that completely tore up the city. So, I don't know. I, I've been through a little bit of it all, I guess.
2: Crazy weather. There's, there's, no, there's no place in this world where you can hide. Like, every, every place you go, they've got something weird like that that you've got to put up with.
0: Apparently. So, <laughs> it makes me feel guilty about uh, complaining of lake effect snow when I hear these kinds of stories.
2: Yeah, well, you're in Ohio. That's probably one of the few places that is untouched. Like, Even God doesn't care about Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we'll, we'll skip that place. It's bad
0: enough. They, I was going to say, you were rough. saying
1: every warehouse somewhere you have to deal with, he just has Ohio. Yeah, he's, he's just in Ohio. <laughs> so, uh, nice shout out to all of our
0: Ohio listeners. Uh, we love you. <laughs> it's a
2: beautiful oh, nice. place.
1: I, it is. I have nothing. <laughs> I actually... Cleveland when I finally got to go up there you know a couple of years ago actually kind of surprised it was, it was a really cool city so yeah Rock and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame man. it's not that yeah. bad I'm not from here and so I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty objective like yeah it's it's not bad it's not
0: bad if it weren't for the snow it would be a whole lot better uh, nice we get a couple uh, a couple announcements to kind of go through and then we're going to kick it into our our uh, topic episode today so I wanted to mention two things. If you're playing the Jay Thorne podcast drinking game, uh, bottoms (laughs) up, take another shot. Uh, Chris Kane and I started the Author Success Mastermind podcast, link in the show notes. Uh, It's basically just a simple uh, question and answer format, much like I did with Rachel on the Writer's Well. And it's tailored to um, the people who are inside the Mastermind community, but the questions and answers are really applicable to, to any writer at any point. So if you're interested, check out that podcast. We just started it, got uh, five or six episodes up, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. Also, we want to give a shout out, uh, or a mention, I should say, to Google Play Books, one of our sponsors for the Career Author Summit coming up this fall. Uh, we got a message from Sabrina, and she said that, um, publishers are no longer required to upload a spreadsheet to activate a promotional price. Uh, instead publishers can easily create a new campaign in their promotions tab by selecting the promotion date range titles and prices the full uh, text of that update will be in the show notes uh, might you, you know it, it might not seem like a, a, a big deal but I think what's what's cool about this is that Google Play Books continues to develop both their author and their reader side and I think that is good news for the industry that that's good news for everyone and so I am uh behind all of uh, the Zons competitors who are upping their game and and really trying to help authors out. So uh, I know it was a little clunky to upload a spreadsheet in order to set a promotion on Google play books, but you don't have to do that now.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they're doing, you you know, I remember Jay and we were, I don't remember where we were, but we were in an Airbnb together somewhere. We initially had a phone conversation with Sabrina and she was saying, you know, they had a lot of big plans. They're going to make a lot of improvements and she has stuck to that word. They keep, you know doing a lot of stuff there, so I'm excited to see what Google Play books, you know how they continue to iterate on that
2: Yeah, I'm thrilled to see it I we, we really need some competition out there and, and Google is one of those monsters that can really really bring the, the game and, and take Amazon you know, at, at least wake them up a little bit and make them realize they're, they're not the only player um, Which brings up something that I was I was trying to figure out before we jumped on the call Have you guys ever done a, a prime reading deal with Amazon? Where they put your book and then they make it available to prime uh, readers. Oh, you
1: did! Oh, you did! That's right. Yeah, that's. Oh, we did. We had final awakening. We had final there, awakening. Anyway. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I,
2: I've got one right now for she has a broken thing where her heart should be. It, it started a couple of days ago and it goes for like a month. Like, do they pay us for that? I was trying to figure out. Like, is I don't it, think so. So they did
1: initially. A, initially, you got there was like a huge upfront that they would pay you straight up or whatever. And then it changed a lot. It wasn't even huge. It was like a few thousand bucks or something.
2: Yeah. It was $5,000 and they, they just cut you a check. Um, But that that was like the only I, I tried to research it and I you know it was like after they put me in the promotion and you know I just assumed that it was similar to like Kindle Unlimited where you just got page reads or you got something. But from what I can tell, like I'm literally just giving my book away, which probably isn't a good idea. I mean, I imagine it expands the audience because it's putting it in front of in front of people. But you know, when you give something away, that you know those people, as far as I'm concerned, that's you know they expect to get the next one for free too. So I don't know that it's that beneficial.
1: I think in your it instance, it's not very beneficial no, because it it's didn't a standalone book, us. but. I mean, I have friends who've had first in series of like a six, seven, eight, nine book series. And then the rest of the series is in prime reading, so people do then have to buy it or borrow it in Kindle Unlimited or whatever. So um, I think there are instances where it is good, but um, maybe not with a standalone necessarily.
2: Yeah. yeah, check back I guess in another month and we'll see We'll see what it did. I mean, it definitely helps the ranking and things along those lines, so yeah. So we'll see. Um, I've got a new project um, possibly in, in the works with Patterson. We, we were brainstorming the other day and we came up with something. Um, we're looking for anybody that's had a, a haunted experience, so either some type of ghost experience paranormal saw something heard something whether it happened to them happened to a friend a childhood story they heard and anything along those lines uh, I can't go into the specifics um, but you know it's a James Patterson book so it should be pretty big if, if we decide to pursue it um, if anybody has any of those and, and is willing to talk about it um, there's a link on my website just go to jDbarker.com and click on the word haunted uh, and you just fill out a little form and that'll put you in the queue to, to um, get interviewed and then we'll you know, I can give you a little bit more details at that point as far as what's going on with it but um, I've already done a few of these and there's some crazy stories out there so I'm I'm having a lot of fun everybody always prefaces they start off with you know I don't necessarily believe in this stuff but this happened to me and and then then usually some crazy tale right after that
1: and everybody seems to have one my wife will be chomping at the bit when I tell her about that she's way (laughs) into that stuff and has some pretty crazy stories is yeah, it a uh,
0: fiction or nonfiction project, or can you even say at this point? It's
2: non-fiction, um, and it kind of came, he's got a book out there right now called A Walk in My Combat Boots, which is, yeah. it, it's been on the, the bestseller list for, I'm guessing, about a month or five weeks or something now. Um, it's a really good read, and it, it's two or three pages, you know, very short stories of, you know, firsthand accounts of things that happened to soldiers over in Afghanistan and Iraq, um, and it's just, it, it's so intense because every story is true. Um, so we're basically fishing for that same thing, but from a, you know, we're looking for, you know, I'm, I'm his go-to guy when it comes to scary and spooky. So, you know, we're, we're looking for actual real scary, you know, scary stories, things that happen to people. And, and there's, there's some pretty wild tales out there. The technology has really surprised me because, you know, I used to interview people all the time back in the day. I I had a newspaper column that got syndicated called Revealed, where I I did a lot of these types of things back in the 90s. Um, And, you know, I had to tape record everybody, then I had to transcribe it by hand, and, you know, then I would have to write it up into an interview. Um, This is nuts. Like, I'm literally, I I interview everybody on Zoom, you know, record it with Zoom. There's a website that I upload the file to, and within like 30 minutes, I've got a transcription of the file, and it's, I I haven't seen any errors in them. I don't don't know, you know, what, what. kind of monkey they've got on the other side of this machine running it, but um, they're very efficient. Um, so, yeah, so I'm having fun doing that. Um, I'm watching a lot of movies lately because we finally got the, the home theater going. Have you guys seen Justice League yet? The new one, the Zack Snyder? I recut. Know. I, I turned this on, and I've been looking forward to this for a while because you know he was originally brought in to, to direct this thing, and he pulled out of the project for whatever reason. I don't think they ever actually explained why. But then Joss Whedon stepped in, um, did his thing, and it, it was an okay movie if you like superhero movies. But you know it, it wasn't as good as what you know a lot of people felt Zack Snyder was gonna do. So this thing cost, you know, I was trying to figure this out before we got on the call, and I, I think they spent somewhere of three, around three hundred million dollars for this movie. Um, it needed to make six hundred something um, in order to break even, and it. Came up short, so I think it was in the hole about 80 million or something after release. Um, at least on the last story that I could find about it, um, they gave Zack Snyder another 80 million to go back in and recut it and basically create his vision of, of this movie. So I got excited and figured, okay, this is gonna be good. It finally had you know, good superhero movie. I turned it on, and the thing is in a four three aspect ratio.
1: Yeah, like, I saw an article, ex- I saw an yeah. article explaining that <laughs> too. I uh, uh, I can't remember exactly what this is. By the way, he left the project because his daughter committed suicide. Oh, that, okay. that's why. That's why he'd originally left. All right. Um, and yeah, then they I, brought I, Josh Whedon in, which I'm sure they loved. No, yeah, well, I mean, they're,
2: they're both very talented guys. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I just I'm, I was trying to understand the 4-3 aspect ratio. And, and for people that don't understand aspect ratios, it's basically that square box that we used to have on televisions before, you know, the cool 21st century TVs came out and, you know, we, we got these giant rectangles. Um, it, I, the general thinking from what I was reading is that he did that because he wanted um, – he wanted it to present well on an IMAX screen. Um, but, you know, I don't know anybody that's watching this on an IMAX screen, at least right now, <laughs> you know, yeah. so anyway, so, and it's a four hour movie. So I'm going to have to watch a four hour movie in, in four, um, three. And wow. it, it's good, but, it's you know, it's not just, even
1: in four, three, it, it's in some other weird aspect ratio. I read something about it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you're right.
2: Um, it's, it's the, no matter what you yeah. do, you're going to have bars on the left and right side of your screen. And it just, it really detracts at least for, for me. Huh. And I'm, I'm sure other people probably Maybe feel that way four, too. Three.
0: I don't know, whatever, wow. anyways. Yeah. Crazy. So,
2: yeah, so ranting and raving. Um, and I watched another one. Have you guys ever seen the movie In Dreams? No. Like, no. Really old movie with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Annette Bening. Um, I, I had to check it out because part of it was actually filmed here on the island where I live. There's, there's an old hotel called The Wentworth. Um, and in that, they used it in the movie, and it had been abandoned for like thirty or forty years, so it was, it was completely falling over when they filmed this there. Um, since then, it, it, it was completely gutted and renovated by the guy who actually used to own my house. Like I bought the house from his, his, his widow, um, and they, they've completely redone it. So I, I walk by it every day, and I see the new one. But it was very odd to see, you know, the same hotel, but you know, like all run down and falling apart in a movie. So if anybody gets a chance, check check out that movie. It's a terrible movie, but um, <laughs> the, the hotel is fun.
0: Ringing and. Into- yeah, right.
2: ringing endorsement. This, this is what happens when I get locked in my house. Like I'm, I'm in my home <laughs> theater. Like that's my only my only escape is to to watch stuff. And I, I reached the end of Netflix about two weeks ago. So now I'm like you know scraping the bottom of the barrel for whatever else I can find to eat up time in there.
1: Right on. Right so on. So Justice League and End Dreams. There's some recommendations. All right. Yeah. That, well, that's well, I'll have six to, hours uh, right there. Yeah, I have to make a
0: note to myself. I don't. Jay, did I ever tell you about my cat Church? When Your I was living Church. up in Maine. No. I had a cat named Church I thought you were talking about a a cat like a church for cats All right. (laughs) Never mind. I'll I'll schedule the interview with you and tell you about it. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know that story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we uh, should
2: probably get into our topic
0: here, right? Yeah. What do we got today, Zach? What are we talking about? Probably about Pet Cemetery.
1: Probably not. (laughs) That was so late. So, JD, (laughs) I think think a great play, I think some great people to tell about your movie experiences would be your mailing list. Right, yeah. that'd be a great thing to send out to your mailing list. Tell them about in Dreams. <laughs> so, there's my late segue. No, we today we're going to talk about uh, we we just we're going to have a general discussion on a mailing list because it's something that every author should have. If you don't, then hit pause right now and go sign up for one somewhere. Um, <laughs> but we're just going to have a general conversation. I think about you know kind of the play, the role they play in our business um you know how we use our mailing lists and 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 stuff like that so um i think uh you know it's fun mailing lists are funny because jay and i make this joke but it seems like every year people say mailing lists are dead mailing lists are dead like no one checks their email but like i think that Especially with some of the stuff we've talked about here on the show happening with Facebook and stuff like that, like mailing lists are just becoming more important than ever possibly. Um, But uh, I think to open up, I'm kind of curious because I, you know, I hear different answers uh, on this. Um, I'm kind of curious, like how how do you guys use your mailing lists? Like, do you and, and when I say that, I mean. There's a lot of different opinions on that as far as like, do you how often should you email people? What should you say? Should you just email them when you have a new release? Like, should you actually try to build up a relationship with readers through there? Um, You know, so like, I I don't know, JD, how do you use yours? Do you, is it just for new releases or do you actually like try to tell people about yourself and use it as more of like a social thing or how, how do you use yours?
2: Mine's honestly evolved. My, my wife used to have a blog back when that was really popular, and, and she had, um, on average, I think it was a million-something-a-month visitors. I mean, it was a bigger one, and she was making a really decent income from the, the advertising stream on there. Um, and, and she built that up over time, but, you know, she posted about everything. I mean, she was, had a blog post out there every single day, you know, a couple thousand words, a couple thousand words. And I kept telling her, you know, like you could write a book (laughs) and, and get it done. Um, so when I started my, you know, I had forsaken coming out, you know, and I was in that awkward place that all authors are at the very beginning where I've got a book coming out. I've got nobody on the mailing list. Nobody knows who I am. So how do I get people there? Um, so I actually started advertising the book on first on her blog because that was free, at least for me. Um, and then on other blogs. Um, and I just had a little you know, graphic off in the, the bar um, that allowed people to, to click on it. And it took them to a book description and I grabbed their, their email address. And I, I kind of started off that way. Um, at the same time, I started doing similar blog posts um, on, on mine. And I actually had a whole series that I wrote from a dog's point of view. Um, we, we used to have a little dash hound called toast is um, he looked like a piece of burnt toast like he was black and brown um, and he just for whatever reason there, he had a personality that just really struck me so I used to write you know just random day posts of observations of the world from his point of view um, and that actually took off quite a bit and I, I got a lot of following just based on that and got a lot of email addresses so by the time I dropped forsaken I, I think I had somewhere around 1100 people on my mailing list which isn't you know too bad for for initial release. Um, but you know that was all so extremely time-consuming. Um, you know, and I wanted to spend time just writing books. So I, at this point, all I do is I, I put out a blog post for a pre-order, um, another one when something gets released, and then anytime I have any kind of major news event. So if I get a, an option, you know, from a film or TV studio, things along those lines, I'll, I'll kick something out. Um, but otherwise, I, I try not to get in front of anybody, you know, too often anymore. Um, and a lot of that stems from like I, I get really pissed when things show up in my inbox that I don't really want. Um, you know, if I hear from the same authors two or three times in a week, like to me, that's frustrating. I'll click on, you know, the spam link just to get them out of there or unsubscribe, you know, if they, they hit up too often. Um, so I, I've kind of dialed it back to the point where it's just, you know, to me, necessary information to get out there. It's the stuff I would want to see from the authors that I follow. And in all honesty, like I modeled it after Dean Koontz, you know, like I saw him, you know, posting for just those things. And, you know, he's obviously got a pretty good handle on how this all works. So I started following that, that same model. Um,
1: so so you don't have necessarily like a schedule just when you have news about something, you just send it out. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah. But you, you have enough going on where you're still probably staying pretty consistent and not, you know, having three months between emails or something like that I would imagine. So
2: yeah, there's always some kind of message going on. I mean, even like this Patterson thing that I just mentioned, I'll probably kick out a message you know, related to that just to, to get it out there. Um, yeah, I try to stay in front of people as much as I can. But, I mean, you have to have something worthwhile to say. I think that's what it really comes down to. If, if, if you're if you're forcing yourself to put a message together to get it out there, then chances are that that
1: forced message isn't going to be well received on the other end. Yeah, you're, you're the same as me. I, I usually just put out stuff whenever I have something like a new release or, um, you know, I want to tell somebody maybe about a cool book or, like, you know, update them on a project that I've come up or something like that. But I know Jay is different than both of us because Jay is on a schedule. I know he I mean, you are like the first and third Friday every month is when your newsletters go out and you really don't send anything outside of that. And you never miss those dates. So, I mean, you want to talk about that a little bit and kind of your reasoning behind that.
0: Well, yeah. First, I'll say that um, we're talking about fiction right now. Nonfiction is completely different
1: yeah that's yeah. a very that's a very and good point yeah. if
0: if if we have bandwidth or time and we want to come back to that I'll certainly will because I, I run both a fiction and a nonfiction list no
1: I think we should because I think it's important yeah
0: as far as fiction goes yeah I don't disagree with you guys necessarily I, there but there are two variables or there are two things that I, I really think about and and I tell other authors when they're asking for help with this the first one is email list expectations are heavily genre dependent. Yeah. Uh, like for Zach and I, we, we found out the hard way that post-apoc dystopian readers don't really want to interact with authors. <laughs> they, they want to read those books in their bunker um, and, and not, not be bothered, right? Whereas like paranormal romance, like you can't email romance readers enough. Like they, they almost want to be, you know, they want a, a window into your life. They want to friend you on social media. Like there's, so, so it's very genre dependent. The second thing I think is really important is the expectation you as the author set when someone joins. So if, if someone joins and, and you either don't set expectations um, or you're not clear, you're gonna have problems no matter what. So when someone joins my list, I tell them, you're gonna get two emails a month from me. Now, if I send them seven, then I'm, I'm gonna piss them off, rightly so. And if I don't send them any for three months, I'm also not upholding that, that the expectation that I made. So I don't, because I think a lot of us, we filter this through our own experience and what we like as consumers, which is not always the same as what our readers or or our, our fans like. So for me, it always comes back to like, what are the genre expectations generally? And then what, what are the expectations I set up as the author? And
1: am I holding to those? For sure, yeah. And like with mine, you know, I tell, it's the same thing. So, because I totally agree with you. I think it's really important to set up those expectations and to let people, and to stick to that. So, like, I tell my readers, you know, I'm going to let you know when I have something new coming out or some really cool news or something. So, and that's what I do. And I don't typically email them other than that, you know, because, um, you know, I, I like the idea of, of what you do. I, I just, for me and it probably when i really got down think of it i don't think this would be the case but i kind of th- i kind of feel worried that um and, and i know you're i mean like let's just say i was going to go off what you said and do to me emails a month which is what you do that's not what you're saying everyone should do right you know but um but but i do kind of worry about if i set that expectation i would fall into the trap jd was saying where i end up having to just kind of like come up with something because i owe people an email on a certain day or something you know, um, but that would obviously I could adjust my expectations based on that. Um, I don't know, but, uh, but I, I think that that's, that's a really good thing. Do you want to, like, I, I guess while we're here, cause I, I have another thing I want to talk about, like, do you want to talk about nonfiction for a second?
0: Well, um, I know you don't Zach J- JD, do you have any, do you have a nonfiction list?
2: No. Um, I mean, I've got a nonfiction book in the works, um, but I I, I I used to have a, I, at least a dozen different mailing lists. I had a list for everything, you know, like each each individual book had a list. I had another one for media contacts. I had another one for this, another one for that. I ended up combining a lot of those and um, cleaning house, particularly after I did the whole, you know, free book in exchange for giving me your email address, you know, thing for a while and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I think, you know, like you guys just mentioned, like I. I I I do. I structure mine based on what I like and what I don't like, Um, and and like you just said that you know for better or worse, you know like what I like is obviously not the same as what somebody else would like. Um, I used to subscribe to a ton of of email lists on you know on just on topic. Like one of the very early ones was a a horror list that came out every Thursday by name a woman named Paula Garan. Um, that's how I initially met uh, Jack Ketchum and, you know, who put me in touch with Stephen King and those guys, you know, way back in the day, like in the early nineties. Um, I used to read that, you know, like it would come in my inbox, I'd get excited about it. You know, I would read it from you know, top to bottom and, and move on. Um, you know, Hugh Howey had a list for a while there that, you know, I, I tend to follow his blog. Um, but I just I don't have the time in the day anymore to to, to process that kind of information. Um, a lot of the information I used to get from those lists, I now get from podcasts because I can listen to a podcast while I'm out on my run. You know, I can I can multitask a little bit instead of having to park in front of my phone or in front of my computer. So I think I'm kind of adapting to it too. Um, so a lot of if, 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 if a couple years ago, if you would have asked me if I thought it was worthwhile to do you know X, you know, unless I I was actually a consumer of X, then I, I probably wouldn't even consider it. Um, and right now it's just, I've totally streamlined it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's an important thing to think about if you're an author, if you're writing just fiction and only fiction and fiction forever, then, you know, there's no, there's no need to to overcomplicate things. I think where it gets interesting is, and I don't think, JD, I don't think you're in this position. I mean, I know you're writing a nonfiction book, but I don't, uh, I could be wrong. I don't see you, you know, building out like an author services platform or anything like that. But I think if you're if you're looking to sort of create a business um, around uh, some nonfiction title, then uh, then that nonfiction list is really important, and it's a whole different set of rules. and And I don't I don't think it's worth getting into that now here in this conversation. But uh, you know the, the the nonfiction audience is completely different because you know they they usually have a pain that needs solved, and they're 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 much more willing to interact. They want more. They're gonna um, they're gonna they're gonna purchase more um, because they're trying to solve a problem, and which is which is completely different than fiction, where it, which is primarily entertainment. So I think if um you know if you're writing any book that's nonfiction and you're planning on having any type of service or services related to that, then a nonfiction list separate from your fiction list is probably really important.
2: Well, any one of those things could be a lead magnet, right? Like if you've got right. a nonfiction book on craft. You know you could take the first couple paragraphs on how to query an agent, and you could kick that out to a, a newsletter um, with a link back to the book, and you could do that again. You know, a week later for the next chapter, and the next chapter, and the next chapter, and you could keep going. So it, it, you can utilize it that way. Where that just doesn't work for a fiction book, you know, right. you, can't, you know, so it's a, it's a totally different market.
0: Yeah, so I think the big takeaway is that the fiction and nonfiction lists are very different beasts and and needed to be treated differently. There there there's very little about them that's the same, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and funny, like the, and Jay, I think you're like this too, the mail, the, the newsletters that I do open most often are nonfiction authors, <laughs> you know, and stuff that, you know, uh, the, the three biggest ones for me are Cal Newport, uh, James Clear, and um, Ryan Holiday. Like, I, I love the stuff that those guys do, and they've set up really, really good expectations. You know, it's been, like James Clear does his Thursday email. It's called like the 321 email. I open that every Thursday and because I always get something valuable out of it. Um, so it it is definitely a different a different set of rules and expectations for the for the receiver. So yeah,
2: well, it's all about knowing your audience, right? You're you're an absolutely. author, so you're looking to other authors that can teach you something. Um, you know, normal normal readers aren't looking for that.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And and something something else. And J D, you kind of you kind of started to talk about this at the answer to answer your first question, but um, you know, something I that we get asked about a lot, and and I get at, this inevitably comes up. Every time I tell people that I tell other authors that I'm not, that I don't engage in social media and I'm not on there is one of the first things that comes up is like, well, how are you getting people on your mailing list? Like, how are you finding people? How are you building your list? So I'm, I'm curious, like, what are you guys doing, um, in, you know, these days to, to get people on your mailing list? Because it is true. Like, we all start from zero. And that is daunting, you know, when, when you're starting out. And you don't have anyone on your list, and you, you know. But like, how? Um, what have you guys done to build your list, or, or what are some things that are you know you're doing now? Jay, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, I and wish let's you focus have. on fi- <laughs> we can focus on fiction because again, I know that's two it's two different things.
0: It is, and I'm terrible at building my fiction list. I, I've I, I'm I've not been good at it. Uh, even even to this day, I still struggle to build that list. I mean, I've I've made. I'm not going to call them mistakes because it's just learning. But like I early on when I say early on, I'm talking like, you know, 2012, 2013. I did a lot of cross promotions and like giveaways. And, you know, I built a list I built. I I had a list of of 10,000 readers at one point. And, uh, you know, the engagement was terrible. Like the open rate was terrible because they just weren't quality subscribers and uh and and like you zach i'm not very active on social media at all and what little i do is for my nonfiction stuff yeah so i don't have any really any any easy way we i don't run paid ads to to a mailing (laughs) list so my my mailing list is is kind of stagnant for fiction and it's it's something i know i have to address it's something i have to get better at i i have to sort of re-engage or rebuild that in some way uh, I don't know when I'm gonna do that, but I know I know it's, I have to. So I, I'm kind of punting on that just because I'm, I'm not really a good example.
2: <laughs> well, unfortunately, my example doesn't work anymore. <laughs> um, I used to do this thing where there was, I, I forget what the name of the app was, but there was a Twitter app where you could follow the followers of other people. Um, so I could load up, when I first came out with Forsaken, I could load up Stephen King's Twitter followers and I could follow those people. Um, so what I would do is I would follow them and then I created an autoresponder that would automatically hit them up when, when they followed me because on Twitter back in the day if you followed somebody a good percentage of those people would follow you back. Um, so my autoresponder uh, led them to a page on my website um, which is still up there and it was would you like to be a character in my next book if yes go ahead and fill out you know, this information and they would, they would follow me on Facebook, they would follow me on Instagram like I had links for BookBub, all those different things in there and I would collect their email address. Um, and at the very bottom, when they submitted it, it gave them the ability to share it with their followers. So if they wanted to tell their followers, hey, you can be in a J.D. Barker book, you know, they would click on that link and 99% of those people did. So it was like this self perpetual machine where you know, they, they, my followers are basically telling their followers to follow me and they were all fans of authors that wrote stuff similar to what I write. Um, So that worked really well, that got me up to, I I think I've got like 80 or 90,000 followers on Twitter and a big chunk of them came from that. But all that stuff got shut down when Twitter, they they closed out their API to, to outside sources. Um, I don't know how I would have started back, you know, like without that, um, cause I, it's such a difficult thing to do. And, and now I'm in a very different environment altogether because you know, my books are kind of everywhere. So like my followers come from those books, you know, I just had the, you know, my release with Patterson just came out in Spain. Um, you know, so like I've got all these people following me from, you know, the Spanish speaking territories, you know, they, they see the, you know, and, and again, it's, it's self perpetually, you know, like the, you know, i just did a bunch of interviews. So I, you know, I did television, I did newspaper, things like that. Um. Um, All those institutions and those reporters, they post on social media, that gets shared with different people, um, and that tends to lead back. On on my website, I I try to... I don't like to be in your face when it comes to signing up for my newsletter. There, I get very frustrated when I go to an author's website and a box pops up and blocks me from doing anything else and said, "Hey, so I might, you know, join my newsletter," but, and, or you can click on the little X if you can find it to get out of there. Um, so I, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I've got there's a you know a link down in the corner of my homepage where you can sign up for the, the mailing list if you want to. Um, and people find it. I mean, I get anywhere from five to ten new people every day without really you know going out there and aggressively doing anything. When I did try to aggressively you know collect followers. Um, I, I did, you know, that, that the free book promotion. So I gave away copies of Forsaken in exchange for an email address. Um, and I did that through a, a, you know, I completely automated the whole system through book funnel, um, you know, which is pretty easy to do. Uh, and I got my list up to close to 50,000 people. But like you were just saying, you know, like most of those were, you know, they were worthless. They weren't people yeah, that were willing to support. Yeah, they're perfectly fine taking a free book. If I wanted to put another book out there for free, but you know, when it came to buying one, it just wasn't worthwhile. And that got expensive. You know, when you're kicking out a message on you know Mailchimp or any of these services to fifty thousand people, it gets pricey. Um, so I started cleaning up the list, and you know, I'm sure I ended up dropping a lot of people that I probably shouldn't have. But I, I whittled it down to about eleven thousand. I think that's what I've got on there now. Um, but my open rate is high. My open rate is anywhere from forty to sixty percent per message. So I know I've got you know a decent you know base now. Um, so, you know, aside from that, like, I don't aggressively try to build the list anymore, but I, I can tell you that my email list is still the most effective method I have of getting word out when I've got a, you know, when I put a pre-release message out there, I, I see those numbers, you know, skyrocket. I know it works, um, versus putting an ad, you know, I've got ads running on TikTok right now. I'm, I'm literally just throwing money at TikTok and I've got no clue whether it's affecting sales or not. Um, or the television advertising I'm doing, it's the same thing. I'm just throwing money at these things, hoping that it's working, but it's not a measurable return. I can't really tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm, I've been fortunate to where, I've been pretty smart with my list the whole time I've had it. So I've never, I've never done like the free book promotions, like where you would go and just, um, um you know, like Jay mentioned, like you know, you can do these things where, you know, people go to a landing page and they just download a bunch of free books and you get a mailing list, um. Or you get you get their emails and then if it on your list. Like I've never done any of that stuff. I've built my list strictly organically. So um, the majority of mine has come through just a CTA in the back of my book, where you know once people are done reading my book, um, it asks them to sign to my mailing list. Usually, if it's a first in series, I offer them the second book for free. Um, and I've am I'm very adamant about something that Jay actually taught me, which is one thing so like i only have one CTN in the back of my book i'm not like hey uh sign up for my mailing list follow me on this uh review my book go buy this book like i it's one because yeah you know, as, as jay could tell you you know that you get diminishing returns the more of those you do and a lot of times people just get overwhelmed and won't do any of them so i my main goal is i want people to get on my list so i i try to get them my list um, you know, doing mailing list swaps with authors, so like going to authors in my, in my genre, and you know, promoting each other's books. I've gotten a lot of stuff that way, but most of mine has just come through, um, people reading my books and uh and signing up, and those are the people I want, you know. Um, and, and so I've been I've been very fortunate in that, and um, kind of related to that. JD, do you? This is kind of a twofold question. Do you? For one, do you do the CTAs in the back of your book, like where you get people on your list, and do you get to do that for your traditional books?
2: Uh, I, I do, um, and on the traditional ones, a lot of times it's what goes in that section isn't necessarily up to me, and it changes. Yeah. Um, You know, and sometimes it's not even my own book, you know, like when you've got books with Random House, sometimes they'll throw in another author in in the back there. So you don't really have a whole lot of control over that. Um, One of the things I did learn is you've got to be very careful with your formatting on that, because if if it's not formatted correctly, uh, Kindle readers will think that you like you reach the end of the book before you actually get to that, that call to action page. Um, where it'll throw that, you know, you've completed this book, you know, do you want to review it on Goodreads, that automated screen that comes up like that'll come up before you actually get to the CTA if you don't properly organize your book. Um, which is something I learned the hard way with um, Six Wicked Child. I, I paid somebody to format that, and I, I learned, you know, a year and a half in that, you know, people were getting that Goodreads screen before they actually got to the call to the action in the back. Um, I, I tend to put um, a, 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 like the first couple chapters, if, if I can, of, of a different book in there um, to try and hook them, you know, give them a couple, you know, basically just a taste of another novel. Uh, and I do that mainly because I, I'm writing a lot of standalone books. That's an easy way to, to grab them. Um, so I, I try to do that as much as possible, but you know, a lot of times it's it's totally out of my control. But when I can control it, I'm I'm all over that. Um, you brought up a very valid point, and I, I see um, you know, as far as clutter, um, that's what I call it. A lot of times when I when I visit an author's website, um, I see tons of that. You go to their homepage, and they've got this video that they did on YouTube in one corner. They've got you know their book listed right next to it. They've got their mailing list next to that, and they've got this going on and that going on. It, it's like, it's like staring at ten different billboards all at once, and you get. St- shock, like you don't know what to do. Um, People need a very simple path, you know, like every, you know, to to buy a book, like it should always be like within three clicks, you know, like keep it as quick and as as efficient as possible um, without any distractions. So figure out what your message is and and make sure that message is really clear, whether it's in the back of the book on a website or even your your social media accounts.
1: I think too, you know, to kind of push back on one thing you said, JD, too, I think that um, you also need to be careful about instituting too much of your own habits into it. Because like, I know you said you, you, you hate those boxes that pop up on people's websites and I hate them too, but I think Jay, you actually, they work. <laughs> like, uh, I, I think Jay, you're the one I heard that from, that they have like a really high success rate. Yeah. Everyone um, hates those
0: pop-up boxes and yet they convert it like some ungodly number, like 27% or something. Yeah.
1: Hmm. So it's, 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 it's a weird thing where, you know, you have to be really careful about thinking about your own habits too much. And actually, uh, that's why I just go to Jay because Jay has actually done a lot of research on this stuff, you know, but, um, but, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing though. Cause I don't, those things are annoying to me too. So, and that's just one example of something. Yeah, no, like I, I
2: get it. I mean, I, there's, there's plenty that I've, I've, I'll fill out just to get that box to go away, which is why it, it works. You know, it's, it, it, <laughs> Maybe it, annoys, yeah. <laughs> it annoys the hell out of you until you, you deal with it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things I, I know it probably makes more sense to have it up there and, and put it up there, but I just, I wouldn't want to see it myself. So I just don't do it.
1: I, I know that we're kind of run up on time, but I'd be rem- like, Jay, do you still have the one on your website where you have to give your email address to even look at your website? Sort of.
0: I softened <laughs> it a little bit. It, 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 I, it, for a long time, I had a traditional squeeze page. And so all you, the only option you had was sign up for my list or not. Um, I, I've since softened that a little bit. I think I have a, a little bit of a bio, kind of a contact form towards the bottom. But I, you know, this this is related, but not on topic. Um, and I think you guys are in the same camp as I am on this. Like I, an author website isn't really all that important. No. It, like the only thing I think it really needs to do is get people on your list. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, maybe some minimal stuff like, but like, like there's, there's Wikipedia and there's Amazon and like, there are other ways that people can find out about you. Um, I, I think too many authors spend way too much time and money on their website. Uh, when, when really all it needs to do is just get an email address for you.
1: Yeah. Or if you have some kind of, I think if you have some kind of, and I, you see us in fancy a lot, uh, uh, you know, it, it's good if people want to figure out like a reading order for series. If you have some crazy series going on, you know, it, that can be good. But other than that, I'm kind of with you. Like for me, it's just, you know, I have my books up there where people can find my books if they want, you know, come there. But for me, it's mostly just to get people on a mailing list. Yeah. Both of you guys have a very, have a very basic websites. Like you're, Because I just just don't want to put a bunch of time into it, like you're saying. Yeah. Because I don't think it's a very, you know, very good way to spend my time, personally. Yeah, it's
2: it's one of those things where you have to have a presence. You know, it's it's your own personal storefront. It's it's good to have that out there. But yeah, I mean, there other things are more important. I mean, we could spend an entire show, and maybe some point we should on Wikipedia, um, because that that's huge. You know, like every interview I do, that's the first thing that I know these reporters are looking at. They're reading my Wikipedia page everywhere in the world. Like that's the first their go to. Um, and you you can control that message to a certain extent. Um, it's it's a weird dynamic because you're not allowed. Like Wikipedia doesn't allow you to create your own page. Right. Um, yeah, somebody else has to do it for you. But um, it's definitely a worthwhile endeavor.
1: I'm gonna go make the Jay Thorne Wikipedia page. I'll make the Zach Bohannon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that sounds like that sounds like a good place to wrap up. Unless you guys have anything else to add. No. Well, No, I think that's... I hear uh, crickets. (laughs) Well, Jay, I'll turn it over to you to close us out then.
0: Yeah, uh, next week we have Andrew Peterson coming on the show. Uh, Interesting guy, Uh, author of the Wing Feather Saga. And Zach, he is a Nashville musician.
1: Oh, interesting. So uh,
0: maybe, do you know him? Have you run into him at all? I have not, no. Oh, okay. (laughs) Maybe now, though. Yeah. So So, yeah, Um, uh, he'll be on to talk about... uh, all things books and music, which is stuff we all like. So that should be fun.
1: Nice. All right. Looking
2: forward to it.
0: All right. To our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.